You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment, but first some breaking news out of Surrey. RCMP confirming to Global News they're responding to a shots fired call at 160th Street and 110th Avenue. As you can see from Global One, there's a heavy police presence on the road there, including about 12 police cars. There's also an ambulance on scene, although we have no confirmation at this point if anyone has been hurt. It's a very busy area of Fraser Heights, community-oriented, only about a half a block away from an elementary school. Details are still coming in, and as we learn more, We'll make sure we update you along the way here on the News Hour. Now, back to that devastation of Hurricane Dorian and catastrophic damage in a country popular with Canadians. The first aerial images out of the Bahamas show unprecedented destruction. Catherine Urquhart has more on the slow-moving hurricane and the impact on Canadians who live and work in what was once paradise. As Hurricane Dorian's storm surge reached two stories high, residents of Freeport raced to flee the floodwaters. One family forced to wade through chest-high water as their house disappeared underwater. I'm coming. Local journalist Tim Aylin and his family barely escaping alive. And it was about a foot deep in about 30 seconds. And then after about two minutes, uh, it was like uh, up to our knees and it just kept coming in. Emergency crews rushed to rescue some residents trapped in their attics. Choppers plucking them from rooftops and taking them to higher ground. The U.S. Coast Guard airlifted at least 21 people injured on Abaco Island. Catastrophic damage is everywhere. Thousands of homes flooded. Countless cars submerged. Storm winds were unrelenting with sustained winds of 295 kilometers an hour. Gusts clocking up to 355 kilometers an hour. It's as if we're fighting war with the enemy having all the weapon at its disposal and we have absolutely nothing. We're hopeless. A group of Canadians is there filming a television series. All are safe, but they fear for members of their local crew. Two brothers that are local Bahamians that uh, are part of our crew, um, Clyde and uh, Ahmad Russell, who are really part of our family here. We have not heard from them yet. They're in Treasure Key. So if anyone has uh, heard from them, we, we would love to hear from them and know that they're safe. They are uh, two incredible young men. Airports are closed indefinitely under meters of water. Also crippled by the flooding, several hospitals. This is deep ocean. United Nations officials estimate more than 60,000 people will need food donations to survive. So far, seven people are confirmed dead. That number expected to climb much higher in the coming days. Katherine Urquhart, Global News. And for the latest, here's a live shot of Daytona Beach right now. Dorian's been downgraded to a Category 2 hurricane, but it's still dangerous. And it's creeping very close to Florida before it targets the Carolinas. The worst of the strike is expected later tonight and into Wednesday. Millions are under evacuation orders from Georgia all the way up to Virginia on the U.S. East Coast. Coastal areas will see a significant impact even if Dorian never makes landfall. And you'll get all the information online at globalnews.ca.
No parole for 15 years for Lisa Batstone, the Surrey mother convicted of killing her daughter. Batstone was convicted of second-degree murder in the smothering death of her daughter, Tegan. While that sentence carries an automatic sentence of life in prison with no chance of parole for at least 10 years, sorry, I should have said that verdict, the judge ruled today Batstone killed her daughter for, quote, selfish reasons and that her decision was deliberate and focused. And we are getting our first look tonight at more critical evidence from the Andrew Barry double murder trial. Barry is the Oak Bay father accused of killing his two young daughters. Ramina Dea shows us the picture evidence taken inside Barry's apartment after the murders, as well as the contents of a note Barry wrote to his sister from his hospital bed. And once again, a warning. The details in this trial are disturbing. The evidence made public today key exhibits as the jury weighs two very different narratives. Barry claims he was tackled twice and stabbed in the throat and chest. 16 stab wounds. His shirt shredded. Barry's clothes and his apartment covered in blood. Forensic results reveal Barry's DNA throughout the suite. A 1 in 96 quintillion chance it could be someone else. DNA swabs only come back identifying three people, Barry, Chloe and Aubrey. There is no blood evidence from a fourth person, known or unknown. Barry's version of events, someone else killed his daughters and violently attacked him. Barry had previously testified he owed a loan shark $25,000 in gambling debt. Crown's theory, Barry killed his daughters and then tried to commit suicide. Because he had crippling debt, he despised his ex and his parents, and he was on the brink of losing custody. In hospital, Barry couldn't talk because of his injuries. He responded to his sister, an RCMP officer, in handwriting, saying, quote, I don't remember what I did, but I tried suicide. I left note on table. I don't know why my eye is black. Barry ends the note saying his ex, Sarah, treated me like I didn't matter. Mom was joining in. The lies created to get their way was absurd. I couldn't stand up to them. Barry previously testified he was referring to a previous suicide attempt a month earlier. He has said on the stand repeatedly he did not kill his girls and he did not try to take his own life on December 25th, 2017. Crown argued if this was the case, why didn't Barry say something, tell anyone or even write it down in his notes that he did not do it? Romina Dea, Global News. In another courtroom, an emotional sentencing hearing today in a case that started as an argument over the disposal of a cigarette and ended with one punch that killed a 22-year-old man. Lawrence Sharp found guilty of manslaughter in the death of Michael Page Vincelli. Grace Key explains how everyone involved says that one punch changed their lives forever. He had the most beautiful eyes and he had such a big heart and he was a loving kid. Stephanie Page is back in court hoping for justice for her son Michael. Lawrence Sharp was found guilty of manslaughter back in March. Crown is now asking for two to three years behind bars. Defense is asking for less time in jail and a longer period of probation. That's nothing. That's my son. He's priceless. He, he doesn't have anything. He'll have nothing anymore. This guy, he gets two years and then he gets to go out and then live his life. What does my son get? 
The fatal one punch took place back in June 2017 at a Burnaby Starbucks. Sharp's girlfriend, Olduz Ponoruz, got into an argument with Michael Page Vancelli at a parking lot. He called her a dirty immigrant before heading into the Starbucks. Ponoruz then got her boyfriend, who was at the bank. The pair are then seen entering the Starbucks, and seconds later, Sharp delivers a single blow. I don't excuse my son's behavior, but it didn't need to lead to that. You know, I just, he walked away and then they went and looked for him and he didn't deserve that he didn't deserve to die sharp did address the court and expressed his remorse saying i am sorry to the tip of my toes to what happened i don't understand it i'll never understand it nothing can be taken because i have nothing left there's nothing else to take i i won't accept his apology it's way too late it's way too late you can't you can't take that back a sentencing decision will be handed down on Friday. I don't have him anymore and it's not fair. Two years is not fair. Grace Key, Global News. An appeal from RCMP tonight after a particularly frustrating experience trying to rescue a hiker. The hiker lost in Thetis Lake Park just outside of Victoria called 911 for help. But despite the dispatcher advising the hiker to stay put, they ignored that direction and kept wandering around the park. Police used phone tracing technology to try to pinpoint the hiker. However, due to the hiker constantly moving, the search went on way longer than necessary. They were pretty uncooperative with our 911 dispatcher and uh, ended up walking further into the park and again, just being lost. And so we had to call Machosen Search and Rescue to come and help us with the search. When we found the hiker, he actually had no shirt. Um, no shirt, no jacket. Uh, he did have on some bottoms and some running shoes. He was also had his dog with him at the time, but no other people, no provisions, no food, no water. If you're gonna call for help, please stay put so that we can help you unless you're directed otherwise by the police dispatcher, please stay put. Support workers attending two Kelowna high schools today following the death of a recent graduate who lost his life cliff jumping over the long weekend. Tonight there are renewed calls, including from first responders, for more to be done at the site to prevent future tragedies. Global's Shelby Tom reports. This is our marine rescue. We've had it for several years. Okanagan Falls Fire Chief Rob Oliver says he's launched this rescue vessel in response to an emergency at the bluffs an alarming number of times. It's terrible, you know, we don't like going to those calls. Oliver says at least six people have died over the past decade at this popular cliff jumping spot at the southeast end of Skaha Lake. The cliffs claiming the latest victim on Friday. 18-year-old Kelowna man Curtis Roy died after jumping from this cliff edge 110 feet above the lake. He hit the water hard because it's a long, long drop and knocks the wind out of you. Officers from Penticton RCMP with support from Penticton Search and Rescue and RCMP Air Services searched this area on Friday night but failed to locate Curtis. The underwater recovery team was called in and recovered his body just after 7 a.m. on Saturday. Curtis was a recent graduate of Rutland Senior Secondary School and as students head back to class, the Central Okanagan School District has deployed its critical response team to support classmates who knew him. Meanwhile, area residents are calling for improved safety measures at the cliffs to prevent future tragedies. They have access by boat. 
but why can't you put fences up along the water line to stop that? We need to do something with that rock bluff, fix a fence and try and, I don't know, put some bars out so that they can't go out around it or something. The rock face is located on Crown land. The Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resources did not respond to our questions by deadline. Shelby Tom, Global News. The city of Burnaby is the latest city to be awarded a new hospital. The province announcing more than a billion dollars to replace the original building from the 1950s. Ted Chernecki has more on how it's expected to impact the community. Today, I'm very, very proud to announce that Burnaby Hospital will undergo a complete redevelopment, $1.3 million invested in two new patient towers. Uh, did I say billion? I'm sure I said billion. Million, billion, one can easily lose track when BC's planning on spending $64 billion on health care in the next three years, $21 billion this year, and that's just to run health care. So yes, it is $1.3 billion coming out of a separate capital expenditure budget. Two new patient care towers, new wards, new operating rooms, 400 new beds, the majority of which will be single uh, patient beds bigger emergency room. 1.3 billion gets Burnaby two six-story towers, the first adding 78 new beds and opening in four years. The second tower adds 160 beds and is expected to open in 2027. There's also a new cancer treatment center. The Lancet Medical Journal now reports that cancer has taken over heart disease as the number one killer in first world countries. This is an extraordinary day for Burnaby, for East Vancouver, for the whole community across Metro Vancouver. Burnaby General has been in the news many times in recent years, mostly for the wrong reasons. Uncleanliness, flooding, bacteria infections, understaffing, and so on. The last renovation was back in the 1970s. We'll actually have essentially a new hospital in an existing site. The health ministry expects patients requiring health care in Burnaby will increase almost 63% by 2036. The $1.3 billion price tag is only a preliminary number. More detailed cost estimates and procurement have yet to begin. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us now with more on today's announcement. And Keith, Burnaby, just one of 12 cities in B.C. getting a new hospital. What's with the building boom? Yeah, this is in uh, marked contrast the last time the NDP was in power in the 90s. Back then, governments of all stripes were closing hospitals, closing hospital beds. Quite the opposite now happening on the NDP's watch. Here's a list of hospitals that have been planned or under construction. First of all, Vancouver, of course, leads the list with the new St. Paul's Hospital and New Westminster. Royal Columbia is going to be replaced. North Vancouver as well. Kamloops, Royal Inland gets a new hospital. Fort St. James and Terrace also in line for new hospitals. Also in the interior, Dawson Creek and Quesnel. And down south, in Cranbrook and Penticton. More hospital towers planned there. And finally in Cowichan and Burnaby, the latest addition. Now, Adrian Dix tells me today this may be it when it comes to major hospital construction. Those days may be over. What, what is required going forward is a different type of health care facility, and that's long-term care. Here's the minister. What's also needed, of course, is to invest in long-term care, and we've done this with partners and care providers, so uh, long-term care is provided by nonprofits and by for-profit care providers, but also by health authorities. And a lot of those facilities require similar upgrades as well. We've got to uh, ensure that our seniors are treated well and the quality of care is high. All right, Keith, the Burnaby Hospital project is interesting because it does not fall under the Community Benefits yeah. Agreement, which hires only union mm -hmm. workers for construction of major public projects. Why doesn't it fall under this program? 
Yeah, it's a bit complicated. I talked to Adrian Dix at length about this. He tells me when it comes to community benefit agreements, they try to sprinkle them around the province so every all communities can sort of benefit from them. Right next door, just down the road from Burnaby General, of course, is the Patello Bridge Project, which is the first project covered by these CBAs. As well, the business plan for Burnaby was already underway uh, when before CBAs came on the scene. To go back and put this under CBAs, according to Mr. Dix, would result in the business plan having to be redrafted, which would have meant an interminable delay for a project the residents of Burnaby have been waiting a long time for, so no delay here. All right, sounds like it. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. Keith Baldry and Victoria for us. As nearly 600,000 children head back to school across the province, an important coordinated message today from governments and police. If you drive, you're reminded to pay extra attention, slow down, and recognize that excited kids don't always look before they cross. We have... Uh, the need to do announcements like this because every year we have near misses at some school ground somewhere in the province, uh, sometimes on a daily basis. And of course we have uh, some tragedies that we could point to in recent years as well. And that's entirely avoidable if people uh, drive, uh, improve their driving habits and be alert drivers uh, in school zones. In Surrey, the excitement of a new school year is tempered by the fact many students are still in portables. In fact, there are 28 more portables than last year. And as Nadia Stewart reports, parents are upset that the $10 million bill for portables is paid with money meant for the classroom. When you look at uh, the room assignments, you hope that your kid didn't get the portable this year. They're too hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and kids have to walk in the rain just to get to the washroom. It's not going to be enough to build a couple of more schools. Dean McGee with the Surrey District Parents Advisory Council hoped this year would mark a turning point. We need to move forward on that list of projects, accelerating it and getting rid of portables and not bringing in new ones every year. 28 new ones for the 2019-2020 school year, for a grand total of 361. If you stack up all of Surrey's portables, they would be as high as Grouse Mountain. But the education minister predicts fall 2020 is the beginning of the end of Surrey's portable problem. I think it'll be this time next year and uh, especially uh, September of 2021. That's when a lot of projects that are being built right now, where we've broken ground already, uh, will be completed and come due. The NDP still has not made good on its election promise to eradicate portables. After 16 years of little to no action by the previous government, 10 capital projects are either under construction or in the planning stage. With some schools set to open in 2021, it will open up about 4,500 seats. But the district estimates the student body grows by about 1,000 students a year. Just to keep pace with that growth, we would need to build uh, one new elementary school, every year and a new secondary school every two to three years. Matt Westfall with the Surrey Teachers Association joins parents and advocates in calling for more robust planning by the Ministry of Education to meet the demand in one of Canada's fastest growing cities. But until then... I think they'll be here for years to come. It would be nice to get some relief for what we're taking out of the operating budget to cover the cost of portables. If that is the case, the district says they should not have to foot the $10.7 million bill to move and maintain all these portables. And parents agree. As parents, we should all be angry in Surrey. Let's fund our portables properly and not take money away from the classroom. Nadia Stork, Global News.
And we'll stay in Surrey now for an update on that breaking news we told you about at the top of the news hour. Shots fired in a Surrey neighborhood. Take a look at this car, a Chrysler 300. It crashed into a fence apparently after being shot at. It has a blown out driver's side window and several bullet holes in the side. Witnesses say they saw two people taken away in ambulances. No word on their condition. This happened at 160th Street and 110th Avenue, a very busy area of Fraser Heights. And as we mentioned earlier, only about half a block from an elementary school. And if there is more details, we'll pass them along throughout the evening. Well, here's a lottery winning story you don't often see. The person who sold the ticket is also cashing in. Verna Holmes is the owner of Seafair Smoke and Mixer in Richmond. She was the retailer who sold that record-breaking $60 million Lotto Max ticket back in July. The BC Lottery Corporation today awarding her $60,000 as part of its retailer incentive program. You probably can't remember, but when you sold him that ticket, did you or he have any inkling as to where it would all lead? I had a feeling. You knew? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was hoping for a good friend to walk in, but he was the best friend I had, so he got it. If you're uh, doing the math, that's 0.1% of the total lotto jackpot prize. Verna says in the 35-plus years she's been selling lottery tickets, she sold nearly $10 million worth of winners. Of course, that's nearly $70 million now, and she'll use the money, she says, to help support her family and take her staff out to a nice dinner. The federal NDP seems like a party in crisis. It's having problems even nominating candidates for the upcoming election. And now several former New Democrats in one province have made an unprecedented mass defection. Our chief political correspondent, David Aiken, has the details. The ex-New Democrats speaking out on Tuesday are all from New Brunswick. One member of the National Party's executive and 14 former provincial NDP candidates. They're abandoning the Orange team and throwing their support behind Elizabeth May's Green Party. Unfortunately, in New Brunswick, the NDP does not have a path to victory. The NDP has zero candidates in place in any of the 10 federal ridings in the province. On top of that, the defectors complain that federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has not visited New Brunswick even once, while Green Party leader Elizabeth May has been there frequently. Thus, I will be resigning my seat on the federal executive of the NDP and my membership to the party, and I'll be joining the Green Party of Canada and New Brunswick, and I invite my NDP colleagues to do the same. This defection in New Brunswick with a federal election just around the corner is a symptom of NDP weakness across the region. Just six of 11 candidates in place in Nova Scotia, zero for four in PEI, and just one for seven in Newfoundland, Labrador. Singh was in Atlanta, Canada Tuesday, but declined to speak about the New Brunswick defection. A weakened NDP is, by and large, good news for Justin Trudeau's Liberals and bad news for Andrew Scheer's Conservatives. Conservatives tend to do better when the left-of-center vote is spread across two or three parties. But without a strong NDP to peel away soft Liberal votes, Trudeau's fortunes are brighter, and Shears, that much dimmer. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Strange days in politics indeed. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says tonight that he will call for a new general election 
after suffering a major defeat in Parliament. Next year to simplify regulatory barriers. After one of Johnson's MPs humiliated him by crossing the floor while he was speaking, a rebel alliance of British lawmakers voted to seize control of the parliamentary agenda, setting in motion their plan to block Johnson's no-deal Brexit plans. Johnson says he'll call for a new election shortly, but the motion needs a two-thirds majority in Parliament. And Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn says that he won't back a new election unless a new deal, or sorry, a no-deal Brexit is ruled out first. In California today, confirmation of the news no one wanted to hear. All 34 people missing after a fire on a dive boat now are presumed dead. The victims, including five members of one family, had no chance of surviving. The boat fire exploded so quickly off Santa Barbara's coast, the sheriff says there was likely no chance of escape for the 34 victims now presumed dead. The Mayday call came in from five survivors. I can't breathe. All members of the Conception taking a dinghy to Bob Hansen's boat. There are some things you can't unsee. I mean, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever forget the sight of that boat burning. Switching from a search to a recovery mission today, what was left of the dive boat has now sunk to the ocean floor. Among the missing, a California family of five with three daughters who love to dive. Sherry McDonough just arrived from Cincinnati to identify her daughter Allie, the one crew member who died below deck. Never thought I would ever have to go through this. The Conception was wrapping up a weekend dive trip like this one when the blaze apparently trapped those sleeping in these tight quarters. The 75-foot boat has three levels. Five crew members were on the top deck when the fire broke out on the second deck in or around the galley. The 33 passengers and one crew member below deck with no way out. The sleeping quarters had an entrance by the bow and a safety hatch toward the stern. At this point, is the thought that fire was blocking both entrances to the sleeping quarters? Yeah, that would appear to be what happened. By the time it was discovered, the fire was in such a state that it was, it had essentially um, fully engulfed that area. With no cause for the fire, tonight the conception, perhaps holding answers at the bottom of the sea. A recent cluster of mass shootings in the U.S. has prompted the world's largest brick-and-mortar retailer to make some significant changes. Walmart says it'll stop selling ammunition for assault-style weapons and handguns after it runs out of its current inventory. That comes a month after 22 people were killed in a shooting at its store in El Paso, Texas. Walmart will also stop selling handguns in Alaska. In health matters tonight, bad news for people who like their soft drinks. A new European study finds regular and diet sodas are linked to an increased risk of early death. A long-term study of more than 450,000 people found those who had at least two soft drinks per day were more likely to die, especially from circulatory or digestive diseases, than those who drank less than one per month. There was no association between soft drink consumption and overall cancer death. And a dream come true for a Canadian extreme athlete who thought he'd never compete again after suffering a spinal cord injury. During the National Parachuting Championships over the weekend, Lonnie Bissonette jumped from a plane while in his wheelchair. 
Bissonette was injured in 2004, trying to set a Canadian base jumping record in Idaho. Bissonette not only jumps, he competes for Canada on the Paralympic bobsled team. And he helps others with similar injuries. All right, we're going to take you back to our breaking news now. Shots fired in a Surrey neighborhood. Possible victims. Our Aaron MacArthur joins us on the phone live from the scene. Aaron, what have you learned since you got there? Yeah, Chris, about 5 o'clock this afternoon, there was uh, uh, what looks to be a drive-by shooting in the Fraser Heights neighborhood of Surrey, right at the corner of 111th Avenue and 160th Street. A black Chrysler 300 is sitting here parked. Uh, crashed into a fence, riddled with bullets. I count at least seven, possibly more, depending on the angle of the car. Witnesses say there were two people in the car. Both were taken to hospital. Undetermined injuries at this point. Police still on scene, canvassing the neighborhood, looking for witnesses, trying to figure out what happened. Uh, according to people who live in the neighborhood, uh, the Surrey RCMP cordoned off Fraser Heights almost immediately. There are very few ways in and out. Uh, those barricades have come down, so there was some hope that they may have found a suspect car involved in this. But that doesn't appear to be the case. Dog teams are here, uh, forensic experts are here, and investigators are looking for any clues as to what happened here this afternoon. Aaron, you cut out just at the moment when you were talking about whether barriers were up or down in that area of Fraser Heights. Can you clarify that? According to people who live here, uh, there was... There's a few ways into Fraser Heights, and there were uh, there were police barricades at those entrances to mm-hmm. the neighborhood when this first happened, and the theory was they were looking for a suspect car, someone who was fleeing out of the neighborhood. Those have since come down, and now we can get quite close to the scene at this point. And real quick, have police said whether they'll be available for comment about what happened there or not this evening? At this point, they're just doing their job. We're looking for any way to, uh, to get more information to, to the viewers as, uh, as soon as we can. All right, thanks very much for that. Aaron MacArthur reporting live from that shooting in Fraser Heights. Obviously a vehicle with serious damage there and possibly even two, uh, maybe more victims, but we'll clarify that throughout the evening with our coverage. Thanks very much for that. Okay, Canadian superstar Justin Bieber makes headlines again tonight. This time it's not for his behavior. We'll tell you why right after the forecast. We'll check in now with Yvonne Schell, who's in for Christy and another beautiful day. It's tough to be back at school for a lot of these kids, I think, with a day like this. Yeah, back to school and uh, it was sunny out there. We managed to see most of the breaks, especially late in the day. Here's a beautiful shot overlooking the North Shore Mountains and temperatures getting into the low 20s with a light window to the airport right now, southwesterly at 7 kilometers per hour. We got a couple of photos in this one from our very own Christy Gordon in North Vancouver with beautiful wave clouds. Uh, these are created with uh, unsettled conditions in the atmosphere and also a change in uh, height with the direction, rather, direction with height. And here's a great shot that was taken from her as well and in Burnaby overlooking Deer Lake George sent us this shot so beautiful clouds and thank you for those photos and what we saw today we're still seeing some unsettled conditions right across the southern half of the province a low just cruising across the southern half and we are tracking some thunderstorms a severe thunderstorm watch or warning has ended for the Fraser Canyon but we can see that cluster of storms still working its way into the tops in Okanagan windy conditions we could see hail as well as very heavy rain still producing 
uh, through the southern interior. It'll dissipate through the evening hours. We'll still see a chance of showers across the north coast tomorrow. We've got cloud cover for the morning hours when you're heading out for school, and then it should clear up towards the afternoon. Across the province, a nice break will be late Wednesday and in towards our Thursday. It still continues to warm up Thursday, Friday, likely the peak of the heat, areas away from the water into the low 30s. Here's what we are seeing, so a chance of showers for the morning. Central interior, we will have sunny conditions and warming up. And then the south coast, it's cloud cover. So your school day forecast tomorrow. By the afternoon, it starts to break up. It's our five-day forecast, still sunny and warm, areas away from the water, feeling closer to 30 degrees tomorrow. Chris? Looks fantastic. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Well, Justin Bieber is going public and getting personal tonight on social media, talking about his struggles with fame and fortune. In a long, introspective post on Instagram, Bieber blames heavy drug use for bad behavior that he says turned him into the most ridiculed, judged, and hated person in the world. Global's Mike Drolet reports. Justin Bieber became one of Canada's most successful teen idols until he morphed into one of the country's biggest punchlines. We first met the Biebs a decade ago while he was on the cusp of becoming incredibly famous. He was a nice kid with big dreams, and when fame hit, he was ill-prepared. And soon all the media reported was when he was arrested or acting like a brat. In an Instagram post released Tuesday, he admits he wasn't ready for any of it. By 20, I made every bad decision you could have thought of and went from one of the most loved and adored people in the world to the most ridiculed, judged and hated person in the world. He also admits to doing heavy drugs and being disrespectful to women. Today at 25, he's married, calmer, and says that humility comes with age. One can only hope. Back to you. Thank you, Mike. We expect too much of our heroes, don't we, Squire? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some work out. Some work out. That's true. <laughs> All right. Stayed up uh, a little bit last night to watch Bianca play some tennis. She's fun to watch. Yeah, she is. You know, she's got... I, I know we said this about Jeannie Bouchard. Oh, this is a, uh, a Grand Slam winner in the making. And, of course, mm-hmm. Bouchard just fell right off the table. I don't see the same thing with Andreescu. Um, and she played great last night, lost the second set, but went on and beat Taylor Townsend, is now in the quarterfinals. And tomorrow, when Bianca Andreescu plays her quarterfinal match against Elise Mertens at the U.S. Open, she will be the favorite of the odds makers. And we should tell you, Andreescu is on the side of the draw that does not have Serena Williams on it. So she would only face Serena in a potential final. And one thing about Andreescu in 2019, no other woman in tennis has been as good on hard court surfaces as Andreescu. More wins than anyone, and that includes this woman in 2019. Not all time, of course. Serena tonight taking on Kyung Wang, and this was absolutely no contest. 44 minutes of tennis is all it took for Serena Williams to go 6-1, 6-love over her opponent. This is how she finished it off. You know who's been hanging around? The U.S. Open was cheering on Rafael Nadal last night. Is this guy right here, Tiger? <laughs> Serena is on to the next level. Uh, the moment Wally Buono retired from the BC Lions, Ed Hervey went about building the team he wanted to build. But his first attempt with the Lions has been a bit of a leaky condo. The players he brought in last winter have not performed close to expectations. And, of course, the coaching staff, led by rookie head coach Devon Claybrooks, has also not met expectations. But Hervey 
is not ducking. He's willing to take the heat for what's happened. All take as a whole. Well, again, I mean, as a general manager, I take well, full responsibility of where we are as a team. I'm not going to walk away from that. I feel like we're, you know, there's more talent than our record shows, but our record is what our record is. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to give you the thousand reasons why we should be have won other games. You've seen us play. Oh, look out, block! Touchdown, Marcus Sales! When you're 1-9, there's no hiding or ducking from the mess of a miserable season. Not when you're the architect of a team that spent heavily in the offseason and was expected to be a serious playoff contender. The frustrating thing for me has been when we face adversity, when, when adversity hits in the game, we, we, we seem to be taking a standing eight count for like 24 seconds. It's a 60-minute battle, and if it's a heavyweight fight, punches are thrown, jabs are thrown, and sometimes big punches are thrown and people hit the ground, and when you, when you do hit the ground, you got to get up, take the standing eight, but make sure the eight seconds is eight seconds, <laughs> right? And then get back in there and fight. And a fake, the end around to Ryan Langford, who doesn't have much room at all. He's going to get stacked up. Kirby believes the Lions should have at least three or four more wins on their record. He still has faith in his rookie head coach, so don't expect any additional changes on the sidelines. But by no stretch of the imagination is anybody comfortable where this team is currently at. We're still waiting to see, watch this team play that full 60 minutes to get that signature win and see where that confidence level can go. But it's, you know, we're at the point, we're getting closer to the point of becoming spoiler than we are at a, you know, a team that's showing promise that you know, I believe that we had. And, you know, that, that's sometimes, football is a tough game and it's tough to win, but you're not going to win any games when you know, you're having some of the troubles that we had. When the Seahawks acquired defensive lineman Jadavian Clowney from Houston in a trade over the weekend, it drastically improved their chances of making opposing quarterbacks miserable. Clowney is at Hawks practice this week. He's learning the schemes of that defense as quickly as possible for Sunday's game against the Bengals. Jadevion Clowney, wearing number 91 in his first practice for the Seahawks, got a handshake from Pete Carroll during warm-ups and can't wait to suit up on Sunday against the Bengals. Yeah, I'm glad it's over. Uh, the whole process of being traded and everything, and I'm glad I can be a part of this team here and get going in a, in, on a new journey. Clowney wanted a trade out of Houston and said one of his most preferred destinations was Seattle. Today he was asked why. You know, you'll love it here. Great weather. It's not, it's not hot like Houston. <laughs> uh, great fan support. Uh, other great teammates on this team. And come be a part of something great. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to try looking to that and try to get up there with you guys. Pete Carroll couldn't say enough about how the former number one overall pick will fit in with guys like Ziggy Ansah and Bobby Wagner. He's a rare football player. Um, He's got special skills that most guys just don't have, and it's great uh, quickness, um, his reaction time, his, uh, the length that he can use, his ability to run, um, his instincts. Clowney echoed those comments, saying he's excited to play in the Seahawks' 4-3 style of defense. I want to go to the Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to this, this team being here. The this staff been there to the Super Bowl before. They know what it takes. They know how to get there. And I'm just trying to be a part of something special. And whatever I can do to help, that's what I'm here for. Nothing special happening with Canada at the uh, World Cup of Basketball. They lost today to Lithuania, 92-69. Canada's 0-2. There you go. As the Bahamas begins the long recovery from Hurricane Dorian, one woman in Nassau has her own challenge, caring for nearly 100 dogs either lost or abandoned during the storm. 
While Hurricane Dorian took its vengeance, Shayla Phillips was giving refuge to dogs, alone, abandoned, trying to survive the brutal elements. We spoke with Phillips by phone. I just started picking them up and grabbing them and bringing them home. The rescues added up. Phillips posting on Facebook, 97 dogs are inside my house and 79 of them are in my master bedroom. Nearly a hundred homeless pups, crowded but safe. Finding Island Dogs a home has been Phillips' profession and passion for the past 15 years. I don't want to put them on the street. They don't deserve that. Her story went viral. Generous strangers donating more than $100,000 to the cause. I can even give one a step without a dog being on my foot. And, but I, I'm not complaining because they are everybody's safe. The worst of mother nature forced them out. But luckily, the best of human nature took them in. Katie Beck, NBC News. Amazing work. Glad they're all safe. All right, and that storm is still continuing to move, although it doesn't look like it's going to be quite as strong if it makes landfall. Yeah, sitting as a Category 2 right now, we'll continue to watch it over the next few days, and we may see the effects of it um, working its way into Atlantic Canada. So if you travel plans there in the next few days, uh, stay tuned for updates on that, too. Sounds good. Do the same uh, either here or BC1 for the latest on that shooting in Fraser Heights area in Surrey. Obviously, some new details. We're expecting those to come this evening, as many as two people, we believe, are victims, at least according to witnesses. So thanks very much for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow.